Hello. Hi. You are tuned into Synchronicity Podcast. Welcome back. We are here to serve, guide, and navigate these crazy waters that we call life together here at Synchronicity. Uh, we are Nicole and Megan. Thank you for being here with us. Yeah. Where it's always a wild, wild adventure. <laughs> We always talk about what's new in the world, kind of what we're curious about, what we're fearful of, like collecting information and hearing just the world around us and kind of what's going on. So we're in it with you. We talk about a lot of different things. Um, if you are an OG, welcome back. If you are a new person and you haven't listened to us before, make sure that you subscribe so that you get notifications when we decide to uh upload a new podcast because we're both Gemini's so it's never regular so if you subscribe then you'll know when we drop them we're getting better (laughs) but welcome and thanks for being here hi and welcome back to season two of synchronicity we're so excited to be back we are on episode three and I'm Nicole and I'm Megan and today's guest we're super excited to have him on we were um just out in LA in January we got to meet with him in person and um, our, I'm sure our podcast will, with him will be airing here probably in April is what I got the last update on. And um, without further ado, here he is to introduce himself. Ladies, good to see you. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. And you're absolutely right. I can't wait to drop our conversations going live on Everford Radio April 12th. I uh, just pulled up my podcast calendar to confirm so I can say with assurance, yes. So yeah, my name is Chase Tuning, and you know, every time I introduce myself nowadays, I, I have to take like a little bit of a pause because it's it's been a pretty wild ride the last couple of years, and, and I have grown so much. I've come home to myself so much, and I've really learned who I am truly and who I want to be so much over the last couple of years. So in a way, I've been kind of reintroducing myself to myself for a while but right now i am a human optimization potential wellness enthusiast Um, just in love with the life experience and i'm sure in a big way what we'll dive into um really in love with the the unfolding and the unlayering experience that we can we can have of getting to know ourself, getting to know our truest self, um, and just being on the path to exploring anything and everything that we want, we want to do and we want to heal. Um, but over the years, I've worn a lot of different hats. I have been, uh, a soldier. I have been a clinical health coach. I've been a student. Uh, I've been a trainer. I've been a, uh, podcaster, still am a podcaster. Uh, I've been uh, an online coach, um, and, and every version of, of Chase has served me well. And I feel like I've lived a million lifetimes by now. I'm only 37, and when I think back, you know, especially to introduce myself and describe who I am, what I've done, it just really seems like I'm talking about another person or other people because um, I don't know how, but true to nature for me, I really love to live in the eye of a hurricane. Uh, I really just do a lot of things. Uh, and some of those are all at the same time. Um, but at my core, I, I'm 
really just a guy who grew up in the middle of nowhere. I grew up on a couple hundred acres down in Southwest Virginia and um, had, you know, I, I think a somewhat common childhood, you know, parents divorced. So I was kind of navigating that, um, you know, unfortunately divorce is, is so high and um, well, I shouldn't say, unfortunately, sometimes it's actually the best decision for you. Um, but, you know, I can't really complain. I grew up the oldest of three. I had an amazing connection to nature. Like I said, um, we ate a lot of the food that we grew. I had very loving grandparents and family around me and um, got to be there for a long time with my younger brother and sister and then went off and served my country and then came back to kind of learn what it means to be an adult as a civilian again uh, after going through career ending injuries and then just uh, really diving headfirst into the science and formal education of this human experience. Um, what I went to school for undergrad, grad school, and then what I did for many years professionally. Um, so I know that was kind of all over the place, but hopefully to give the listener uh, a better understanding of, you know, who this person is here talking to them today. Um, I, I've come from a lot of different paths now, kind of merging into the one I'm on now. Yeah, we um, we invited Chase on after one, our podcast and connecting with being out there with him and meeting with him and his story is so awesome. And that's one reason why we invited him for this season, because he has worn so many hats and he's experienced mm -hmm. so much, but he's also, um, and we'll get into it. He's worked with psychedelics to work through things in his life to get him to where he is today. And um, we're really excited for him to share those stories with our listeners, because there's a lot of fear and stigma about even wearing a lot of hats and doing a lot of things in life. You know, so often we're told like it's one path and that's it. And, or you're, you know, you went to school to do this. That's all you get to do. And that's not necessarily always the truth. And, um, you know, having served our country, you've seen things that many others haven't, or there are people out there that are listening that can relate to what you have been through. And um, it's such a, it's, it's profound when you think about, yeah, wow, we're only, you know, you're in your thirties, right. And you've lived all of these things yet. There's people in their eighties that have lived hardly at all. Um, and I think there's a famous quote about you die when you're 20 or something. Oh, like Benjamin that. Franklin. Yeah. And most people die at 25 and aren't buried until they're 70. Yeah. And it's, wow. Um, I've never heard that. I love that. Yeah. One of my Shout out quotes. Ben killing it. All right. <laughs> right. Way to go, Ben. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it seems like human nature hasn't changed that much in 200 years, mm -hmm. huh? Right. Yeah. So we'll jump right in and, uh, you know, tell us, tell us how you, uh, how you started with your psychedelic journey. Like what led up to mm -hmm. your first experience? How was it? What was it? And what'd you learn from it? So like a lot of things in my life that I'll kind of put under the umbrella of, um, optimization and wellness, right? Or you know, manipulating one little variable in my daily routine or my nutrition or my training or whatever. Again, that was my background. That was what I did. So I, I'm always kind of curious about what's out there. What are people talking about? What does the science show? Um, what, what What's in popular culture? Also, what's just personally kind of pulling me in of interest? And I, for the life of me, just about three years ago, could not pull myself away from what seemed to be on the rise, this, this trend or this rising topic, rising interest of psychedelics. Uh, this was about 2019-ish. And 
I probably was a little late to the game. Uh, I still can kind of consider myself a psychedelic newbie you know, only a couple of years in, but I have done a lot of work with them. And so it first got on my radar. And I think here we are now talking 2023. I think it's on a lot of people's radars in a lot more prominent ways than it was for me just a few years ago, because it's so much, I'll say popular, but um, it's in the news. It's becoming decriminalized. It's becoming legalized. We're seeing clinical studies. We're seeing so much science and positive outpouring that not to say wasn't there when I was curious about it, but it just wasn't, I would say, as frequent. Or I really had to consciously choose to tap into this community. I you know, I know a guy, I know a girl who knows a guy who read a book, who has a podcast kind of thing. And, and so kind of true to nature with me, like I said, of everything else that I've ever tried in my life um, that I believe is going to add value to my physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual well-being. Or I should say really by that point, the spiritual part wasn't quite there. It definitely is now. Um, I just got really curious. So I was reading all the things. I was listening to all the things. I was talking to all the people and really studying it from afar. And the thing that did it in for me, well, two things. I honestly just, I had a couple very meaningful relationships with people that I trusted, that I respected, um, me and them, but also in kind of our community that you know, they were a great resource on psychedelics in terms of, you know, both recreational use, but also how to use them very intentionally and how to go into an experience with them and hopefully get out of it what you want or what you need. And so I leaned into that. But then also really the big thing for me that struck a chord, you know, being an army veteran, active duty army uh, for six years was when the Veterans Affairs Department here in the United States, at least started publicizing and sharing all of these studies that they were doing with veterans around PTSD, uh, low, poor mental health, or just really suffering in the transition from soldier to civilian again, that really piqued my interest. Because let me tell you what, the VA, I remember years ago when I was getting out, it was like pulling teeth just to get anything other than like a traditional doctor or a prescription for whatever I was going through physically, mentally, or otherwise. So for them to be like, you know what, we're going to use this to treat people, service members that are kind of at the worst end of the spectrum, really perked my ears. And so I was like, if they care that much and the, these results are actually that real, people are saying they're no longer you know, being or not having the same qualifications for being diagnosed with PTSD or being able to be reunited with their families or just hold a job. I think this is very, very meaningful to me. And so about a year of kind of looking at it and studying and all this stuff and really doing my due diligence, I decided to jump in. Um, my first intentional use of the psychedelics was actually my 35th birthday. Um, for my birthdays, I like to kind of like get out in the middle of nowhere. So like book a cabin somewhere and just go outside. And so my wife and I and some friends, we actually were uh, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming for my birthday. And um, I was in this like natural hot spring in the middle of the, the mountains and just staring up. And I was like, this is a great place to do it. And so I ate a mushroom chocolate and just honestly, my first experience with that was like, I don't really feel it. I don't think, you know, I feel good. I'm all hopped up on endorphins and love and anything anyway, because I love birthdays. I love my friends. I love all, I love being in nature. 
But then slowly over the next maybe a couple hours, I just realized they're like, they're like I feel love. Like I, I'm not just loving what I'm doing. I'm not loving the people that I'm around. I am feeling love. And it's kind of hard to describe unless maybe you've had the experience, but the way that I felt love before compared to that experience was non-comparable. There was such a profound difference of like, it's almost like palpable. It's like, I could touch it. I could feel it. I could see it. It's like this energy going on between me and nature and between me and these people is just so personified. I was just literally so happy. I was elated. Elated was the word I kept using to describe that first experience. It was just an elated, positive, loving experience. And so that for me was kind of the thing that did it in to lean much more heavily into a lot more uses, a lot more doses, a lot more forms of medicine. Um, because it also, besides having such a great personal experience, it kind of shined a light on a conception I had about our misconception, um, just the way that I was brought up, you know, very conservative, very religious household, Southern Baptist, you know, if, if you look at a marijuana plant, you're going to burn in hell and, you know, become homeless and all these things, you know? Um, and, and, and I go, well, none of that happened. I use this air quote here. I use this drug. I use this thing that's bad, that's, you know, illegal. And it could not have been further from the truth. As real as some people are trying to make that or, make, or claim that to be, I was on the other end of the spectrum. I was like, no, no, no. There's no way you can tell me that what I just experienced has anything to do with this narrative. And so that for me challenged everything. I was the guy that was, you know, yes, no, right, wrong, legal, illegal, um, holding grudges, judging people for, you know, choices in their behaviors or what they deem to kind of, you know, be right when society says, no, that's wrong or law or religion. And so it really, it, it did me in, it cracked me wide open and I just began to question everything and not from a, oh my God, what is the meaning of life? You know, what is the point? What am I going to do now? You know, am I going to burn in hell? You know, it was just, oh, oh, interesting. So you mean to tell me for 35 years, I was unknowingly living some other life. I was acting, believing, talking, doing, saying, loving out of reasons that I don't even know I truly believe or, or, or had ever questioned before. Like, why do I think this way? Why do I cast judgment? So that was, I mean, a wild first experience um, with psilocybin. And then probably the next greatest experience I had with psychedelics was with MDMA. And, and that was one that was very different for me because, I mean, it, it just looks different, right? You know, also I have in my mind psilocybin, it's, it's literally natural, it grows in nature versus something like MDMA that's like, ah, what's in this, you know, who made it, uh, what other crap is in it? Um, I just, I just don't know. I felt some kind of way. But after having that experience with psilocybin, and also this was really in the height of COVID in Los Angeles, things were pretty wild, you know, heavy lockdowns, couldn't really do anything. I mean, if I want to check my mail, I would have to put my mask on or else get, you know, yelled at by everybody. Um, and so I was in a, I was, I was in a party up in the hills of Hollywood and uh, someone offered me, someone that I, I know and thoroughly trust, just literally reached out their hand and said, hey, take this. And I looked at him and I looked at everybody around me. I was like, I know you, I know you, I think I know you, I remember you, 
I trust all these people. And also, like, I know you're a doctor. You're an attorney. You're a very prominent entrepreneur. You're another doctor. So I kind of just, it seemed like my entire world stopped. This was probably maybe three to five seconds. And I took inventory of what was being given to me. And I took inventory of the person giving it to me and everybody else around me. First of all, I felt very safe because uh, you're an anesthesiologist, you're an internal medicine doctor. So I felt like if anything's going to go wrong, I'm in good hands. But also I I just really kind of was like, wow, I know they're doing this as well. And they're quote, air quote here, they're good people. They're contributing to society. They're not degenerates. You know, they're literally saving people's lives all the time. They're contributing something and have meaning and purpose in their life. So again, this can't be true. So I said, fuck it, down the hatch and had this incredible heart opening experience with MDMA for the first time. And um, the biggest takeaway for me on this first experience on MDMA was I kind of had my very first ego death. Um, I, on after like hours later, after I got home, I just started crying to my wife. I looked at her and she's like, are you okay? What's going on? I just realized where I was the problem and this one kind of recurring issue that came up really not even that often, but when it did in our marriage, it was just always a, you know, a blowout. And by blowout, I mean, like I realized I was overreacting. I realized how much ego I was having in this problem that I was like, this is an issue with you. This is a thing that only comes up with you, blah, 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 you, 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 you. And I was like, I've had it all wrong. I, I I take full responsibility for this. What I'm recognizing as what I think as your problem is really just something in my life that I'm lacking, that I don't have, um, that I wish that I had. And so when you have it, when it shows up, it just seems inconvenient to me, but it's also just this trigger of something, hey, Chase, look at, there's this familial aspect that you don't have that she does have that you are trying so hard to cling to that you're actually resisting to it. Um, so I just broke down and that was like two and a half, almost three years ago. And not once has that issue ever come up again in our marriage. Like it, it it's, it's a joke now. Um, so those are my first two experiences with psychedelics, MDMA and psilocybin and the fear around all of it just completely went away. Um, I will preface this by saying, I, I do believe that, Having trust in whatever medicine you are choosing to take, uh, having trust in the person giving it to you, trust in yourself that you're at the right place in a safe place, um, and having you know intention set and setting all these things. It's not just uh, not just trending words; they really, really do matter. And so, I, I do want to say that that by having those things in place, I felt like I got the best possible experience out of my first experiences. Yeah, no, that's a a great thing is awareness of who you're around, where you are and where the whatever you're getting is from is really important because when Mm -hmm. almost always when we've heard about like bad experiences, it's always one of those three things hasn't been thought about or isn't a conscious thing it's like oh this person handed me a whole thing of mushrooms and i was drinking alcohol and didn't know who i was going to be around and you know depending on the type of person you are you know you also have to be really aware of who you're around because uh you know i've had experiences where i'm seeing other people's stuff and you don't want to see some people's stuff wow 
um, you know, that mass consciousness, you get in there and you don't, you're not aware of like energetic boundaries and stuff. It can get, it can get real crazy, get real crazy, real yeah. fast. So, yeah. but those are beautiful stories. Um, and I also, when we were out in LA, I know that, uh, and we don't, I, I accidentally took ketamine once and it was horrible. Um, but again, I took it from a person I didn't know, thought it was cocaine and, uh, thought I was going to die. So it was all horrible. I unfortunately but, hear that happen quite yeah, a bit. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. The person was not a nice person. Thought it was funny. I thought it was cocaine. And oh, it know, was intentional. They yeah. intentionally misled you. Yeah. Oh, Cause no, it was no, in, no. Uh, you know, early twenties. I'm, I'm really yeah. was not as conscious as I am now. And you know, you had those like little vial things that people would have of Coke and they told me yeah. it was Coke and I snorted up my nose and then immediately I knew it was not Coke and the world started spinning. I thought I was going to die. I couldn't even get up off the bathroom floor. I was in a stranger's house. I'm lucky I lived. <laughs> um, mm. You know, again, you have these things and that's why I have an aversion to ketamine is because it's it scared me to death. I remember like sitting and looking at the ceiling and it was spinning and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to survive this because um, there are people like that in the world and you shouldn't hang yeah. out with people that you don't know um, or trust or take drugs from strangers is a real thing, right? Stranger danger. My <laughs> parents taught us that, but Our I didn't parents had it, it right. Absolutely. That's the, that's the one thing about drugs they did get right is don't yes, take candy strangers. from strangers. Don't take drugs from strangers. Yes. Um, unless but you're I, like, the right place then you just get to know them they're not a stranger anymore i guess <laughs> true <laughs> and like do, true. It, do the there. chase technique like i know you i know you yeah, yeah. i know you <laughs> but they know exactly. you and they're a good person so you're probably a good person yeah, yeah i mean checklist i mean i've done ayahuasca with strangers and it was totally fine uh, but there were shamans there and you know there's the right environment but mm -hmm. um your ketamine experiences sounded amazing and we didn't get to hear a lot about them because we were on your podcast so i would love to hear about how yeah. all of that transpired and what your interaction with that has been i'll say ketamine for me is the one that i probably i would say i've done the most I, i've only let let's take it back i psilocybin is my spirit animal uh mm -hmm. mushrooms are just like i i probably i'm microdosing in some level probably multiple times you know per week uh, i will say the last maybe month i actually haven't um but the last several years since discovering psilocybin uh for stripping purposes for intentional purposes for recreational microdosing productivity i definitely used the most but i will say i think in terms of um clinical experiences um, medical experiences ketamine assisted psychotherapy is the one that i have really leaned into the most the last 15, 18 months, almost a year and a half. Okay. I've done, I think now 15, 13 or 15 sessions. Um, some in person, like full blown assisted psychotherapy. Uh, you know, I do therapy beforehand with my therapist. Um, we get very clear in the work, the intention that we want to set, um, go into the clinic, do a little bit of priming work as well, some meditation, some breath work. I'm there with the therapists and medical staff all during my journey. Uh, it's all intramuscular, the path that I chose. And then I've done many at home, actually, in the video, like right here in the guest bedroom. This is my home ketamine clinic. Um, so, you know, log on via telehealth, you know, check in with my sitter. You know, it's always been my wife here. Um, it, you do a, a trochee or a lozenge, swish around your mouth, and then off you go. 
And the reason why I leaned into ketamine therapy, again, a lot of the reasons why I described in the beginning, it was very interesting to me. I was reading, learning a lot about it. But then something happened that I really couldn't ignore. So my wife is a family nurse practitioner. And that was the reason why we moved out to Los Angeles uh, almost five years ago. And she had just finished uh, school, had gotten her license, taken her exam, all that. And she was looking for her new family nurse practitioner job. And this position came open and she wound up not only taking the position, but then actually being my medical provider um, on my first ketamine assisted psychotherapy journey. So when she jumped in and became the FNP and clinic manager at this CAP clinic here in LA, and I was just getting firsthand feedback and experience of what they do and how they do it and the profound healing that was happening, I was like, I can't ignore this. Mm. And I can't ignore it. And, and also I want to apply it very specifically. With MDMA and psilocybin, it was more, hey, let me just dive in and let me see what happens. And then, you know, let me let me reflect on it and, you know, reverse engineer. Let me jump in first and then build out the work. With ketamine, especially being in clinic and with th a therapist, I wanted to be very clear of the work I wanted to do. And for me, I had done so much healing at that point for the past about 16, 15, 16 years over the death of my father. And, and I went many years after he passed with undiagnosed PTSD. Um, and so I had gotten to a really good place. Uh, I should say a much better place, but I realized that I'm not out of the woods yet. And especially with CAP, the work that they do around PTSD I felt like, like Chase, this is your calling. Like if you really want to push through and get to the other side of this, it's time and this is the place and these are the people. And so I went in to face my PTSD, to face the, the grief and to really face and, and to honestly expecting to revisit and just to finally learn how to get over it, um, his death. Um, and what happened was like everything I was hoping for, but nothing I was expecting. I wanted to get to the acceptance phase of grief with him. I wanted to, it had been 16 years, like I said, I, I wanted to finally not forget my father, but I wanted to move on with my life. I, I wanted to be able to have conversations like I'm having with you all here today um, I wanted to be able to have those conversations. I wanted to not be able to have to run away. I wanted to not break down. I wanted to be safe behind the wheel of a car whenever I would hear a song that reminded me of him and not black out and find myself in a ditch like I'd done many times before or make it through a movie at home or in a theater when there's a death scene or somebody just says the word terminal illness or somebody dies or there's a hospital scene and I'm triggered and I have to I have panic attacks and I black out or I have to leave the theater. Um, I've even had, you know, first responders reply to my house because I'm just completely unconsolable, blacking out, even like seizure inducing. Um, and I was like, I can't keep living like this. I know he doesn't want me to live like this. I want to be able to revisit his memories. I want to be able to have good memories of him instead of only thinking dad and death and pain and suffering. He, he had a very severe case of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and had about an 18-month battle with it. 
And at that time, I had already left for the military. I was thousands of miles away when you know, he was at home. And so I was very torn about what I'm supposed to be doing, where I'm supposed to be with my life. And uh, I, I didn't get to be with him as much as I tried when he took his last breath. And so I had a lot of closure that I was looking for as well. But I also wanted to just accept that he had died and be able to live my life and move on from it. And in my first ketamine journey, I had the most prominent ego death. I, I literally died. My first experience was as I was dissociating um, was separation of body and soul. And, and imagine it's as if you're like hanging onto a ledge of a cliff or a rock or something. And that was me. That was my soul hanging on my body really hanging on to my soul's dear life. And then I just, I, I, I separated and my body just completely fell into infinite blackness, which at first was like, what the fuck is this? This is, I, I don't know what's going on. But then at the same time, there was this, this such peace and comfort in, in knowing that that was supposed to happen, but also that that body was not my real self. And so then I, I, I just, I, my soul was liberated. I became, in my experience, I became just my pure white, bright light of my soul, my experience, my energy, like my, my being. And then instantaneously, I was met with this other non-human figure, but undeniably my father. So here I am, my energy, my soul, my consciousness, and there he is. And instantly, we were just back together. It wasn't, oh my God, dad, like, there was no crying. There was no sorrow. There was no, like, I miss you. It was just, stuff. <laughs> you know, he was, you know, like just normal father, son hangouts. And we literally took off through the cosmos, through space and time. I could go infinitely in one direction at the split second, you know, or I could stop and I could visit, you know, worlds. And just, I don't even know how to really kind of describe a lot of it, but you know, I was with him and we were just laughing and joking and hanging out. And, um, and, and so in a way I, I, it's like, I got started to get closure at least. And, um, there's one, there's so many other things to talk about in this journey, but, uh, let me get to the next, the next session where I think is like the most important part of my ketamine therapy journey to wrap up this story. And so I, to be reunited with someone that, you know, is dead, uh, and, and in my heart of hearts, like that was real. There, there's no denying that what happened was real was amazing and so it gave me kind of like hope for the next session which was going to be the next week and it also lowered a lot of fear because i was able to revisit the darkest part of my life the thing that was causing me the most trauma the most stress and it was not at all what i thought it was going to be so i was like there's no need to fear the hard part was just showing up the fearful part was just showing up but once I was actually confronted with the work and the thing that I that I chose to work on, that I set the intention to work on, the work unfolded and just embodied me and wrapped its arms around me. And it was just nothing but pure love. So that made me very hopeful and had zero fear for going in for the next session. Long story short, with the second session, I did finally get my closure to be with my father at his last breath. Have you all seen the movie Interstellar? So you know the point where Matthew McConaughey, spoiler for anybody who hasn't, but there's a point in the movie where Matthew McConaughey, he's in like this black hole in space and he flows through space and time and he like basically revisits his young daughter uh, and, and like kind of communicates with her. 
I had my own interstellar moment with my father at the exact same moment when he passed away. Um, this story is wild. So when my father was passing away, he was in the hospital. And as the last few days he was alive, or really the last while he could kind of still move his eyes, he was always looking out this window at this star. There was like there was always this star shining going on up there. And God, it gives me goosebumps every time I tell the story. <laughs> in my second journey, the white light that I was and the white light that he was in the first journeys, like we, we, we merged, we became one. And so it was like, finally, I was able to reconnect with him in a way that I had wanted for so long. And once that happened, I like, I had this new perspective kind of like out of the side of my eye. I was like, what, what that's, we're not no longer in space and time. I'm looking down at the hospital. I'm looking through the window of him exactly as he is passing away. So that's happening then, looking down at me, looking down at him passing, leaving his body. When I knew at the time, now 18 years ago, that's what he was looking at. And so for me, then and now became the exact same. Name doesn't and I, I got my goodbye and I got my closure and, and I realized why, because I had come home on emergency leave and tried to be there for days, like just staying in the hospital with him for days. And I realized why I was like, damn it, dad. Now I know why you didn't pass when I was there because I was supposed to have this experience now with you. This, this, this was supposed to be our goodbye. Um, and so, I mean, it's hard to be afraid of anything like that after you have that experience of, wow, the thing that I was most afraid of and the thing that I've been running from, the thing that I have been disrespecting and, and not loving has now given me the most amazing experience and the most um, teaching and the most love that I you know, didn't even know was possible. Um, and, and in three IM ketamine assisted psychotherapy sessions, I really do feel like I got more therapy and more healing than the previous 16 years uh, of on again, off again, personal work, therapy, you know, a lot of different modalities. Um, and so then I was like, okay, great, cool. Let's just, let's just keep going. And I haven't stopped since. That's cool. I have so many goosebumps. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. But then you, you hear these things, right? And I, I like kind of said that lowly, but like time is not real. And you realize that, during psychedelic yeah. experience, it's so weird, and you know we've I've, we've heard countless stories, but that that one that one might be the coolest one. Yeah, that's super. Yeah. Like, and how healing is that? Oh my but god, also- it, it was mind blowing, especially at least in my experience. Like being in the journey, I was on a fairly high dose at that time. I think it was about ninety or hundred milligrams IM dose ketamine, which is pretty strong. Yeah, and, and but still, it was in this weird in between state of I am not in my body, mm-hmm. but I am. So I, mm-hmm. I was like having this out of body, subconscious, other world experience. But at the same time, my physical self, my conscious knowing self, was very present. And they were like, "What the fuck? What's going on? Who's driving the boat? You know, who's running this game? You know." So it like it, it's not so much like this wild experience in your imagination. But because, and again, in my experience, both sides of that reality were present and happening together, I left that experience changed. It wasn't just like a memory. It wasn't just a thing to reflect back on. It was an experience that my physical, mental, emotional, spiritual 
conscious and subconscious selves all experience collectively. And I think that is one of the most amazing takeaways, especially with ketamine therapy, um, is that that is basically universal truth. Everybody that goes through, and we know that to be true because of the immense um, neural plasticity that happens in the brain and neural crosstalk, meaning different hemispheres of your brain are, are, are actually now talking to each other for the very first time or the first time in a long time. And, and that doesn't stop once the medicine wears off. Like you are literally a different person. You literally have a different brain. Well, and I think it's really, I love that it like builds, like you did mushrooms, then you did MDMA, you saw like things that needed to be looked at. And then you went in and used ketamine as a tool with like intention. And I think that that's, you know, there's so much fear of like, oh, I have to just go do ketamine. Well, you don't have to just do anything. Like, but yeah. when you see it from a perspective of like building blocks is really when the medicine starts to work. And like how you said it, you know, like your first experience it built onto the second one. And, and I'm sure it's been this ever growing journey and that your brain is, your brain is never the same. You never, you never can go back. <laughs> once yeah, you, yeah. Once there's you cross, no unknowing. There's <laughs> no undoing. Yeah. But it's, it's so, um, it's, it removes fear though. Like, I mean, you're literally just, it like dissolves away in a, in a way that you almost can't explain. Like it, it's so different, the experiences every time and the little more you just go in depth, especially with mm -hmm. intention and how you were mm -hmm. saying, you know, I think it's, it's so common, especially right now with all the buzzwords of do psilocybin and ketamine and all of these states are working and pushing legislation that it's becoming trendy and it's becoming mm -hmm. cool. And yet we're forgetting the intention and the building blocks that are needed to set the foundation in order to actually use this medicine to do profound healing and have experiences like yours. Mm -hmm. I, I think, um, I personally think that that absolutely gives us the most potential for healing and for real lived experiences that we can not only experience, but then integrate into our air quote, regular life, what really is regular life. You know, I think life now is the trip. Um, right. We're in is a that, sim. You know, I, I, yeah. We're in a sim. I, I think we can have very profound or at least highly curious experiences that turn on different things in our brain, in our mind, um, without having, I'll say such a big capital T trauma or such a huge intention that you want to jump into. Um, I, I'm not saying you're really advocating. I think that somebody should just really jump into all the things in the deep end right away um, because that's going to be a totally different experience. But to some level, I think, I think every human, should you choose to experience some form of psychedelic medicine will have, you will have a very profound and or very curious experience that you can't ignore and you can't not lean into in your day-to-day -day life. But you take that and then you add in, what do I want to work on in my life? What maybe big T, lower T trauma have I had or do I think I'm ignoring or am not quite where I want to be with, like in my case. And, and then then really get very serious about it. There's so much work before the work that I think um, we should do in order to have profound healing. But 
I'm kind of for all, all parts on the spectrum there. Um, but it's just, you got to know, you got to know what you're getting yourself into. Um, safety, security set and setting, like we said earlier. Um, but absolutely. I mean, if you get clear on what you want in life and then you find the right tools and the right container for it, careful what you ask for sometimes, but it's all possible. <laughs> for real. But, you know, you look back at when we've been diving a lot into this lately on ceremony and, mm-hmm. you know, like vision quests that young men go through like Fisher King Wu, um, yeah. you know, and, and we don't have ceremonies in our societies anymore of like when you become a man and when, you know, your mother stops really being your mother, but instead she's one of the women that you cherish. And, you know, there needs to be that severing basically of the umbilical cord. There needs to be ceremony around things, just like we have ceremonies for weddings and, you know, even birthdays are a celebration or a ceremony, you know, there, there's so many things, but there's no longer the sacredness to the evolution of a human being. And I think that that's really sad. And in a lot of ways, psychedelics in a lot of cultures were around ceremony when you were ready to see, mm-hmm. when you were ready to experience. And I think the biggest thing that people find is that uh, faith, the faith mm-hmm. that we have lost. And for so long, I was in a trust vibration, which I didn't realize has a negative energy to it. It's like, Oh, I just Mm. trust, but trust it is inherently wrong because if I, you're like, well, you can trust me, you can trust me. Well, why are you saying that? Right? Because that means you're trying to prove something, but if there's faith Mm -hmm. in somebody, Mm -hmm. you don't even have to say it. Mm -hmm. It's a known bond Mm -hmm. that now exists between the universe and myself because I've done psychedelics. There's no longer trust. I don't trust that the universe is there. I have faith in a knowing that existence is beyond what is here right now. Mm-hmm. And that's why I have completely dissociated from the word trust because what is trust? Like it's kind of a jacked up word. Um, and it's also just, I, I have found that, you know, and it, this might be my own trauma, but the people and the government or whatever that are like, well, trust us, just blindly trust us. Mm-hmm. What? Huh? Like, I don't, they're, they're exactly. It's not coming from a deep place of solid, you you know, you just know those people that are like solid, you bump up against them. And it's like, you, Mm -hmm. you, you know, your people that will show up no matter what happens. I have my people Mm -hmm. that I don't trust them. I have faith in them. There's a knowing in that energy. There's no, I trust my low level friends and it's, it's, it's fascinating, but that ceremony of faith is what we're missing because people don't know how to have faith anymore in anything. Cause they don't even trust well, I themselves. I think their faith has been, you know, kind of run through the dirt quite a bit. Yeah. You know, I, I've oh, had I... faith in, in myself. I've had faith in systems and government and teachers and parents and family. I've had faith in society. I've had faith in my job, faith in my clients, faith in whoever. And, in you know, faith, you know, some people I, I think can't help maybe, but kind of give out more easily than others and over time maybe they're more resilient so maybe over time that kind of gets diminished and um, they guard it a lot more but yeah i i think i think what you're saying is so spot on but it but it's you know how do we get that back into society has been a question and when you have experiences like you just said like that even your story Mm -hmm. if i had never experienced anything gives me faith it's like, how do you explain something like that? You can't with logic. 
And that's what's so wild about it. And you can say, oh, well, I'm having this adventure and who knows if it's real or not, but what is actually real? Because every time I have been in the other plane, it's kind of what you were saying, that Mm -hmm. seems more real than this. This Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. jacked up over there. Everything (laughs) makes sense. It's a weird thing, but you almost realize like all of this is a test, but it's also that you really careful what you wish for. Because mm-hmm. it's um, it really is all possible, and that gives yeah. you radical accountability for your life. And most people aren't ready to step into that because it is it's a circus. You get in here and you're you start taking accountability and using psychedelics and being conscious. Then you have to be responsible for everything in your life. Yeah. Oh, you're like, dang it! I can't be a victim anymore. What happened? I know. Yeah. Dang it. You know what? <laughs> I think um, I love this aspect of faith you're talking about. Yeah. Kind of reflecting back now, I, I will say, I think in many, many ways, in big ways, my faith in others, my faith in society, uh, my faith in what could be for the human experience has really been strengthened. And it's because I have developed a level of faith in myself that I think I, I never had. I now have faith that no matter what I go through in life, because I have these tools and not just psychedelic tools, you know, I have proven to myself and I have tools, you know, proven to myself that when I first get real and honest with myself and what I need and what I want, that that is amazing. And then to share that out with somebody that I can trust for next steps is equally amazing. And, you know, whether that's a friend, a family member, a group coaching experience, a podcast, a book, or even, you know, psychotherapy, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, psychedelics, whatever. I have faith that no matter what my human experience is, as long as I am willing and have the courage to sit with it and to be honest with what I want to keep and what I don't, that there are tools out there for it. And then when I take that and I couple it with, now I know what healing looks like. I know what the other side of the coin looks like. I can then look at the other side of where I was and go, that's why I did that. That's why I would react that way. That's why I was mean or judgmental. Or that's why, you know, even things that I didn't know about at the time. Now I have such a unique, different perception of my own self and my own identity and the way that I interact with others. I could point out, oh, I know, I know this because they do that. I can recognize this outburst in this other person. And so then I have changed the way that I look at really society and everybody I run into in day-to-day life of not getting triggered as much because, you know, I have faith in my ability to heal from these things. So I therefore know that you can too. Now, my experience is my experience and yours is totally different. I'm not here to say one is worse or better than the other, but we all go through life reacting or responding in ways based on what we are dealing with or not dealing with in life. And so now I see that so much more in other people and I have faith that healing is possible no matter what. And therefore that gives me a higher faith in society and what humans are capable of and how we're able to kind of rise to the occasion. I think if we first choose to. Well, and that's, and that's it right there. It's the choice. Like you either choose to live in that reactive state of past this happened to me and this is my narrative or you choose to step into, okay, I see my actions. I see my part in this and I choose to change. Yeah. I choose to change the thought patterning and the experience moving forward. And, you know, I think at the end of it, 
meditation is a big part of the end goal, right? Because you can use psychedelics to, to understand the ego and they, they assist. Right. And, but yet there are people that have had, even I can speak for myself, profound meditations that it's almost so much more than a psychedelic experience. And yet I come back and I'm like, wow, I did it on my own. There was nothing that assisted me in that realm, but it's also understanding I have used psychedelics and I have been able to have that faith that like there's something else and mm-hmm, bridging mm-hmm. the gap of like, okay, I have it within me too. Like I can do it. I can, I can use something to assist me, but I also have the tools inside myself that I think so, so much of society tells you that it's not, it's outside, right? God is supposed yeah, to be outside. Yeah. We're supposed to go to church. You take these vitamins, you take this pill, this gets fixed. But yet at the end of the day, we have everything. And it's just how we frame that. Are we going to be reactive? Are we going to act? And are we going to step out and choose to be different and change the patterning and and have grace for other people? Because I think so often, you know, we get caught up in that judgmental, but yet it's just a reflection of ourselves, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, wow, I still got work to do. I got to go back to the drawing board. You know, I'm reacting to this person. It's not them, it's me. You know, and you said that in the very beginning of like what was in you when you were talking about, you know, your marriage. Why was that trigger coming up? What was happening? And then you looked at it yourself and it was like, damn, this is in me. Dang it. It's yeah. always it's always a bummer when you find out it's you. Yeah, but that's <laughs> that's the conditioning and the programming that has been jammed into us for generations. And that's where our you know, I, I I won't get too much into my conspiracy theories, but there's a <laughs> really cool um, that that was profound to me, and it will be for the people that make sense of these things. But you know, have you ever seen the scientists put the fleas in the jar, right, and then they close the lid? Okay, so we, you know they dump all new fleas in the jar, and the G mm-hmm. the fleas are jumping out and freaking out. Closes the lid, leaves it for three days takes the lid off, they'll never hop out of the, the jar ever again, and neither will their offspring. Interesting, wow. right? And then introduce psychedelics and what they said about psychedelics and like the Native Americans and stuff, which is why they outlawed mescaline and things like that. It's because you couldn't civilize them, aka you can't control them. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. they put so much fear into us, right, that we essentially became the fleas in the jar. And then you introduce a new variable to the jar that breaks the mold or the ceiling on the jar. And it's like, whoa. So then the rat we're, we're looking at the flea still in the jar going, what are you doing? But we don't, (laughs) we don't remember. Yeah. Right. I mean, we do, but now it's like, it's a totally different perception of like, Oh, I don't have to react to that. I don't have to act like that. I don't have to, there's a Mm -hmm. freeing of the mind that happens, but most of the people I knew that grew up conservative as us, like I was terrified of this stuff. I was like, I'm going to end up in a psych ward, you know, and we have mental health problems in our family where we've had family members in psych wards for having psychological breaks. And you're not supposed to take psychedelics if you have mental health problems in your family. And my question is what family doesn't I mean, technically Mm -hmm. addiction is Mm -hmm. a mental health problem. Mm -hmm. And the studies coming out of John Hopkins and just what I have seen um, in our own you know, programs and things is uh, there, there's, this is the only way you actually can help addiction because yeah. we know a ton of people in AA and our, you know, our father's one of them and it's, they're addicted to AA. 
or addicted to sugar and sugar is a mind altering chemical. It's no different than alcohol. You may not become mm -hmm. as much of an asshole, but like it's makes you moody. It, it's just really wild, oh, yeah. but you can't take psychedelics or your sober sobriety birthday changes. And I have a big issue yeah. with that because it's not drugs at all. And if they took yeah. them, you know, and I'm, I'm, we're working on our dad. Uh, he's got it's a there. We're chipping at him. He's got a Sagittarius <laughs> ascendant, so I have faith in him. But he did bring up ayahuasca recently. Oh, there we go. We were making him. Well, we were talking about the the um the jab. I guess we'll just say you know because it was. I don't want to talk too much about me, but um, it, it was part of my ayahuasca ceremony that people that got vaccinated that plant medicine can actually help remove the damaging parts of the mRNA. Hmm. And because there's a lot of side effects coming out, whether you believe it or not, I saw this in ayahuasca two years ago um, before wow. we even knew that there was going to be side effects. And they were talking about how, you know, you can actually pull there's there's beings right when you go into the other planes that can actually work on your body and they can pull these things out of your system. Wow. It was really cool. I was like, what's happening? And then I. You know, they were interesting. You know, the things were talking to me and they were telling me like, there's going to be these side effects. There's going to be these issues. Humans are going to start dying. Plant medicine was coming up and around the people. There was like beans coming down and healing the mm. the heart and the, you know, because a lot of people are having like heart problems. So it was centered around that. Uh, it was wild. Um, but our dad got the jab and he has heart problems. And I was like, hey, mm. <laughs> worth a try. You know, I, I want to keep you around if, if at all Damn. possible. So, uh, you know, things to look at, but I also think that one of the reasons that that darkness has come to earth is that it will force people to seek non-traditional <clears throat> ways of healing. And that will force plant medicine into the consciousness even more because for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So all this darkness is like, oh, you have to do this or you can't have a job. And all these people got it. But guess what? Yeah. The light has to equal the dark. So the plant medicine comes in and is like, ha, ha, ha. guess what? <laughs> that doesn't exist anymore. What you can do now. So it was a beautiful thing to see. But then it's like convincing people like, Damn. you know, like with story. That's why we're doing so many stories like to convince somebody that this stuff actually does yeah. insane things that you can't even comprehend. I mean, I've known women that couldn't get pregnant, went down to ayahuasca and were pregnant within two weeks of coming back. And, uh, you know, it's. I mean, what? trauma and stress left unchecked long-term on the body, on the mind will run rampant in ways. I don't yeah. think we will ever fully comprehend. Oh. And I mean, to your point before, I mean, we're understanding so much more now of what generational trauma looks like. You know, I believe the latest science I've ever read is, you know, about two generations. So there's like the level of work that we can work on ourselves here. But really, if we want to really be the flea that jumps out of the jar and understand really what the lid on the jar is, uh -huh. go talk to your parents and your grandparents if they're still around. If you can pull out your grandparents, at least my generation, their generation, it might be a little bit difficult to be like, hey, grandma, tell me about what's the worst, darkest thing you've ever been through? What have you been suppressing for like 80 years? You know, um, that's really where the root of a lot of this stuff lies, even in such things as infertility. Um, shout out Dr. Shauna Swan's book, Countdown, that came out a couple of years ago yep. that, I mean, if you want to learn really maybe why you're you know, talking about not getting pregnant, really maybe why you're not conceiving a child, if that's what you want to do, is look at what was going on in your grandparents' generation. 
Um, there's this incredible, I believe it was, I don't know if it was a study or just a, a citation of Holocaust survivors, people that went through the Holocaust, that generation, their grandchildren are some of the least fertile we're, we're finding because that imprint of that trauma is left so intensely on them. Mm -hmm. It's like two generations down. So like do the work yourself for yourself, but next level, go talk to the Gam Gam and granddad, you know? <laughs> well, that makes sense because like our mother's eggs lived inside of our grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. So we're our exactly. grandmara. So our children will have our mothers. Yeah. So the it, egg that it, it, you makes, was it makes in sense. utero Completely. when your mother was conceived. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So our kids are experiencing all of our trauma and our moms. And yeah. it, it, it's really... When it's you start thing thinking too. about that, it gets so mm -hmm. wild, but it's also cool because all the work you do is also going straight into the Yeah, DNA. think about so that it's now. All the same if yeah. going up the chain isn't in the option, you know, if that's not in the cards for you, if you are wanting to yeah. have kids or trying or eventually, do it for them. Imagine right now we are rewriting our way of living. We are rebuilding healthier, more conscious bodies we are rebuilding and fortifying ourselves from the inside out. Do that for yourself, but do that for your future children and your grandchildren. You are now, if you want the best life for them possible, which I think we all do if we want to have kids, is get yourself as right as possible or on the path to healing as much as possible because we know this to be true. We know this to be true. Well, and we're, we're in the age of technology. I mean, we're in the age of information. You know, we've got read, look, like... Yeah. If you if you need to find an answer, you don't have to go to the library anymore. You get on get on your computer. Now obviously you want to check your sources because there's mm -hmm. some bullshit out there. But you know, it's it, even coming down to like going back to like sugar. I mean, sugar is so toxic to the body on the adrenals and like the brain. You know, it, it's no longer, you know, two generations ago it was alcohol, right? The the mm -hmm. era of, you know, um, I'm trying, I'm totally prohibition, prohibition, you know, and like, mm -hmm. then it was, you know, we had the huge drug movement and now we're like seeing this like whole movement in the cannabis world. And it's like, look at where like society has gone and the trauma that has happened societally. And mm -hmm. when you even just look at it from a societal perspective, if like your grandparents aren't alive anymore, you can really start to break down and even see patterns in yourself just by looking at history because it's so, you know, mm -hmm it's there. And, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. We've been going to a few estate sales here and there for fun lately. And you can almost tell by not even meeting the individual that lived in that house, what generation they lived in. There are wow, Holocaust it, yeah. survivors that are hoarders mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. that fear mentality. And you can just feel like in the walls, you know, it, it's all around and you're just like, wow, like this is deep rooted generational trauma. Like their children are carrying this now and you mm -hmm. can just see it around you. And, and if you just choose just slightly to look, even if you don't even use psychedelics, it's, it's there. And it's, um, it has an opportunity to heal. And like you said, even if you don't go up, you can always go down mm -hmm. and we always have something within us. Um, that is, you know, we're always a work in progress. We're always, we're never ending book, right? Yeah. It's just always work. The work keeps going. It, it really does. That's, it what, really does. that's what I love most about it, you know, and um, to kind of, to kind of cap my cap story with, um, I, I think the session that gave me the most profound healing and kind of where I am now, like Chase, are you in acceptance phase of grief? You know, have you moved on? Um, the experience I had right here in this room 
was one that in the journey, I couldn't, I didn't really think it was anything super crazy because I, I, I was with my father again. I was like, okay, well, I've experienced this before. It's great to see a dad, whatever. But it was, it was totally different. It wasn't like me and him the whole time. It wasn't just us in there. It was me kind of passing him. And I, I was like, oh, there's dad. He's down there. And so as I was unpacking it after the session and kind of just speaking out loud and you know journaling and stuff, it, it hit me the way that I said that, the way that I said dad was there. I'm like, okay, like, I'll see you later. I realized that I had not said that since he passed away. It was the way that, you know, you might drive by your parents' street and go, oh, that's my parents' house. So they're there. It, it was no longer, oh, my dad was there, but he's dead and he's gone. And that means pain and suffering and sorrow. I was back to the same level of knowing that he is there. He is here. And, and, and I can just tap into him whenever I need or want to. And that I... I bawled. I I cried so hard because that's a level like, and that that part actually gets me really emotional now thinking about it. That is something I think somebody you know in PTSD or you suffered a major trauma, a trauma, that's a trauma loss. I made up the word. Um, you don't think that's ever going to be possible again. I, I I didn't even know that that's a part of the healing that I needed or wanted. I don't think I could have ever voiced that. I just want to be able to say dad's there. Like I can pick up the phone anytime and just reach out. Like he's just there. But the way that I said it, my entire understanding of him physically not being here anymore shifted. And I was just blown away that that was possible. And again, to now walk away with that knowledge that I think is why I, I'm now able to even have conversations like this anymore, because it's as if I'm talking about my dad who is still here and I can talk about him and not immediately think about or know that he's no longer physically here. Um, and so for someone like myself who is working through PTSD, that is, I, I think, the most profound advancement we could hope for. Would you say that he's part of you? Oh, Absolutely. And in, in that second journey, like I said, you know, when when his entity, his light became mine, we kind of merged together. Um, there's a whole lot more to that story that I, I didn't get into. But basically, like literally the weight of a world um, left my body. I, I felt the actual physical weight of a planet leave my body. And then when him and I joined together, I interpreted it as this way because then I kind of turned and realized there was this empty planet that he was giving me. It's like, Chase, you can now, you can leave that weight behind. You don't need to carry this weight with you anymore. And I had like to the level of, of a world and I turned and faced and was now facing this, this new planet, this completely empty planet that I interpreted as like my life and, you know, life after this journey now that I get to rebuild or get to build and write. Um, yeah, I, I, he's with me. Like that light is with me at all times. And ever since that very first experience of us being just pure white light, Every single ketamine journey I've had since then, only ketamine therapy, always, if he's not with me, with me, there's always something like in the side, back corner, peripheral version or vision, excuse me, just, there's like this little light. I always know it's there. And so I always know that he's with me, which is, again, just wild. It's not like his memory, his entity. He is fucking with me every time, at all times, everywhere I go. Um, so absolutely. Yes. 
Love that. And you also named your podcast after him, correct? Everforward Radio comes from a phrase that he said and lived his entire life, ever forward, ever forward, ever forward. Uh, just, you know, what lesson is in this shit sandwich that life has given you? Uh, you know, like, you know, how can you turn this adversity into your advantage? Um, he just always had this kind of, I won't even say like, delusionally optimistic view on life it wasn't like optimism it was more it was more like it was more like it's our responsibility we, we're missing the best opportunities by only looking at the negative in whatever we're facing it is our responsibility to ourselves to our families to the world to look at the darkness to look at the pain and go thank you what else is in here? Because when we choose to do that, even if it's just bullshit at the time, if we don't actually yet believe it, if we don't have that solidified mindset. If we just, even if we just say it, even if we just think it, you can't not look at the situation the same way. You're, you're going to have a different perspective. So it's like, even if you just trick yourself into that, it's setting yourself up for the most success and being able to build the lesson, extract the lesson, take the gift out of that. Um, and to, you know, to his credit, even literally being a prisoner in his own body, being unable to move, talk, you know, the cruel thing about ALS that we know to be true, we believe is true, is that as the body is literally withering away and dying, you're just atrophying and your body's eating itself alive, more or less, the mind is still present. So imagine being a prisoner in your body and all you can do is just like move your eyes. You're totally at the mercy of somebody else for everything else. And you're just withering away and dying. It was like a 220 pound man, you know, former infantryman in the army with the 101st Airborne Persian Gulf vet, just like badass grunt guy, withered away to I think about like maybe like 110, 120 pounds. Um, and, and then you're just just waiting to die and just witnessing, just seeing your loved ones and everything in front of you, and just can't do anything he never once complained. He like, we had every single nurse, every single medical staff personnel that took care of him for the last four, six months, he was in the hospital. They all showed up to his funeral because of like, your father changed my life. He, he was just this beacon, like literally up until he died of living a life ever forward. And so that was my first real way of trying to turn and face that darkness and pain was let me, instead of running away from it, let me embody his mantra, his message. And for me, it was bullshit at the time. I, I, I totally own that. Um, like I didn't quite yet have that mindset fully embodied, but I knew that I wanted to because I knew that really I needed to. Like, if I don't do this, if I don't turn and embrace it and bring it with me, my, I don't know what it's going to do. Like, I, I literally don't know where I would be without making that decision. Um, for the sake of my life, for the sake of my mental health, like I have to choose something different. And so that's what I did. And so Everford Radio is my way of really keeping his mantra and his message and his way of living alive. But also every conversation, every episode that I have is like one step closer to my own healing by connecting with other people that, you know, embody that mantra in their own way. And, you know, and I can now extract. And so every conversation like with you two ladies is, is always just one step closer in my healing journey. You'll, you'll appreciate this. Um, do you, do you know how the neurotransmitters in the brain communicate? Yes. Yeah. It's through anxiety. Yeah. Right. 
So when we shut anxiety off in our brain, our brain literally can't like the neuroreceptors. That's how they communicate. They can't not connect. Yeah. Right. So literally no pain, no gain. If you are mm-hmm. not anxious, your brain will age. And the one way to keep yourself from getting dementia or Alzheimer's is actually to learn a little new language because it creates the most anxiety in the brain. So when we shut That's off anxiety, true. we shut off our pain receptors. When we shut off our pain receptors, we're not allowed to learn and the brain literally atrophies and dies. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Your dad never lost his mind, right? His body mm-hmm. might've been dying, mm-hmm. but he literally lived by that mantra, like no pain, no gain or ever forward. When I learned that, yeah. I'm sorry, that that was just like a Very really cool. fascinating because it's, people are so afraid of pain and yet it's what leads yeah. us and without it, we'll mm-hmm. die. And we're so afraid of anxiety and we're so afraid of this. And when I learned that that's actually how the neural transmitters communicate is ang- like anxiety, electrical pulses through the brain. then I was like, oh, if I'm not anxious then I'm literally not alive, like that's, mm-hmm. that's how I know that's my guide. That's how I'm functioning. And we, you know, SSRIs and all these things that shut the brain down, Mm. you're literally killing yourself slowly. Like your brain's Mm. just atrophying on those things. Um, But that just reminded me again. I think it, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like you're carrying the story on is really the end, you know, the end all of it, right? Like you do all this work, but every day you get to live in your, you get to live that, that journey and honor him. And um, I mean, your podcast I listen to it now. I I listened to it then, but now I actually like and in, with intention listen to <laughs> it. Because I'm like, not just like flipping through. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I have the attention span of also like not that it wasn't entertaining. Um, she's a man, Jen. If she finishes anything, it's like a... with, like everything, and then it's like now your your podcast. I'm like, oh, I like actually, it, it's the meaning behind it, right? Like mm-hmm. now that I know the story of where it comes uh-huh, from, yeah. I feel cool. it when I listen to the podcast because it's like, oh, okay. I, I see it. I feel it. And it, it means something. And it's, it is that it's transmuted. You can feel the difference um, in, in that, but what would be Chase, something that you would tell our listeners that are listening and they're starting this journey of unsureness They've never mm-hmm. maybe done psychedelics and they're really, you know, they're, they're hearing the buzzwords, right? Mm-hmm. What would you tell them? Oh, man. So many things. Um, first of all, well, I guess the most important thing I would tell them is whatever choice you make about this experience you are going to embark on is the right choice. You you have to have faith. You have to have trust. You have to have clarity in what you're deciding because the choice to step into such an unknown area of yourself or maybe even an area that you do know, but you don't like, or you're afraid of, or it's too painful to do that is one of the most important choices we could ever make in our life. And it's not going to be a one-time thing because you will learn something, feel something, experience something that is going to show you the next thing. And that next thing is going to require another choice. So if you can kind of promise yourself right now to always choose you and to always choose 
healing and to always choose, you know, life on the other side of this thing that you're, you're here to work on, then I feel like you can't fail. Um, I personally do not believe that there are, I should say this, we have a, a misconception, misinterpretation, I think, around the main fear of psychedelic journeys and healing, and that is like a bad trip, right? Uh, I, I think those are experiences where we really had zero clarity or idea about what we were potentially going to face or what we want to face or what could come to the surface. That's not a bad trip. That's just a, the most intense spot of your heart that is trying so, so hard to shine through. And you are finally in a place where you can see it. And it, it's just like finally screaming for attention. Um, but that's also your choice. So choose you, choose healing. And if you keep choosing that, then I feel like you can't, you can't not get out of it what you need and what you want. That was, yeah, I was like, dang, I, <laughs> I told you it wasn't going to be a quiz at the end, but that was like almost <laughs> a quiz. <laughs> um, Chase, if anybody wants to hear your podcast or get a hold of you um, to dig deeper into what you do, how do they get a hold of you? Well, like I said, um, I'm always hanging out over on Everford Radio. You can find me there wherever you enjoy podcasts. Uh, other than that, um, you know, the podcast is really where I, I expand on in long format things that I'm most curious about, things that I'm learning, things that are giving me value and changing and transforming my life or just are stepping stones to whatever I'm, you know, going to be curious about. And then on social media, on Instagram, at Chase underscore tuning is kind of my, my day to day, what I'm doing with it, what I'm liking, what I'm not. I mean, it's, it's a totally wide open, no holds barred you know, digital journal uh, of all the things of, you know, of life, of relationships, uh, of wellness, but absolutely psychedelics. Um, I, I talk very openly and freely on them. I've even done a couple IG lives on uh, a couple grams of psilocybin before. And, um, you know, I, I do that because I do that because it makes flat out for really interesting content. I'm not going to lie, but also, of all the things I've done over the years, you know, and I have lived in, worked in the the wellness, health, fitness world for many, many years. Nothing, absolutely nothing, has come close to the feedback and gratitude and questions as this stuff has. And, and usually, it's someone going, "Oh, I didn't know I was alone. I, I didn't know you could feel a different way. I didn't know this was an option. I didn't know about this stuff." And so. As someone who is in the profession and still a coach, you know, I, I feel like it's an obligation, you know, to, to share these things of what's working, what's not, and just where I'm at personally in any kind of modality, because if it can help even one other person, then that's like my obligation. That's the choice that I make in this profession. Uh, and also because I, I've had many people very, very close to me um, not have access to stuff like this or not have anybody to bounce ideas off of and you know it was too much for them and they have taken their own lives and i never ever ever want that to happen to anyone again and i never want to get that phone call ever again um so that's kind of like where i share why i share all of that jason signed one hell of a soul contract we'll just say that much for this lifetime i don't know how he <laughs> looks at a phone screen on mushrooms 
Like that's what it's, I want to know because I can't do it. I'm like, oh it's my pretty gosh. wild. Oh, it freaks I, me out. Quick little sidebar. I found out. So I'm um I'm a pretty high metabolizer in just everything in general. I have to eat like four thousand calories to gain a pound for a while. Uh, but I went through this really intense uh, series of labs, metabolic panel, and like genetics testing. And so not only do I metabolize food, like I, I metabolize everything very quickly. Um, like I've done hero's journey, psilocybin trips, you know, about like three or four grams and I'm out in about two and a half hours. Um, so I, I, I metabolize things pretty quickly. So even in, I, I can still be pretty present. Um, yeah, my IG lives, I've done it like two or three grams before. And like, I know what's going on. I know some things are weird, but I can really lock in and, and still kind of be present. That's cool. Good All right. I so can't even look at a phone screen. I'm like, on, my eyeballs are burning. Guy. Yeah, that's cool. You're like, All right, how did he do this? Yeah. Genetics, you know, see, yeah, I guess maybe uh, I got to talk to my grandparents again. You know, hey, what were we all doing back then? Tell me your trauma. Tell me what kind of strains you were using of mushrooms. Because it's clearly something blood in there somewhere. Oh, yeah. Maybe. All right. Well, thank you, Chase, for her, uh, being here with us. And um, we will put in the show notes the book that you talked about. And I will put all countdown. of yeah, the countdown. And then I will put all of your information as well. So if anyone was listening and you're driving, you couldn't take notes. It'll all be there so you can get um, in touch with Chase if you want to learn more. And of course, head over to Everforward Radio because he's got some really great content over there. And uh, thanks again, Chase, for being with us. Yep, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. And make sure that you follow us at synchronicity underscore sisters on Instagram. We are on all major platforms. And then, of course, we would love for you to give us a five-star rating and review the show for that. Other people that are out there searching for a new podcast to listen to. We hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you guys all soon.